seems like you're in a good mood. And I'm glad that you are because of the message for today. Uh, so I want you to do that again. That laugh that you gave a while ago for Miss Allison, let's hear that laugh again. All right. Now, so that tells me that you're ready to hear this stewardship message and a message on money and tithing and giving. Because let's face it, most people don't like that. You bring that up, you talk about that subject, it's something you don't want to hear. But when we've been going through all in in this 30-day challenge, uh, this week we've studied about a lifestyle of generosity. And we see that again as we've been using that Jerusalem church in Acts 2 as the model. And uh, they, uh, they li- lived a lifestyle of generosity. And so that was another characteristic of that church that made it a healthy church, a vibrant church, and allowed it to be connected to their community as they met needs. Now, as we've looked through this church uh, so far in these four weeks, we started by talking about authentic community, that they were real people and they lived in a real world and they dealt with their issues and, and they had experienced real community with each other. Then we saw that they were committed to uh, a lifestyle of worship. Worship is a lifestyle and we talked about that in the second week. Last week we talked about the fact that they emphasized spiritual growth and we talked about the need and the importance for spiritual growth in our life. And uh, then today we look at this um, concept of generosity as a lifestyle, creating a, a culture of generosity in, in churches today is something that's a great challenge because of all the things that are going on around us and all the studies that show about our giving and our pattern of giving and our attitude. But the church there in Acts 2 was was one that was characterized by generosity, among other things. But the Scripture says there in Acts 2, 44-45, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now that's generous. That's being generous. Uh, That's a generous lifestyle, living that way. Now I think um, that they not only had a common heart in being connected about the well-being of those around them, but for them to have that generous lifestyle, they also had a good handle on their personal finances so that they were able to give when those opportunities arose. And I would contend that through their spiritual growth and their preparation through spiritual growth, then they understood what God's Word had taught them about uh, stewardship and money and how they should handle that money. And they had a good handle on that. And that's why we emphasize spiritual growth because that's one of the many things um, that uh, leads us into being uh, faithful with our money Honoring God the way He wants to be honored. And so we're talking about living a generous lifestyle today. And that is not the trend in our culture. Uh, All the studies that you can find and look at today will tell us that probably uh, only one out of every Christian believer today uh, ties or gives to, uh, gives to, to the church regularly, on a regular basis. Almost every report will tell you that the average giving to the church by believers is probably less than 2%. And what does God ask for? 10%. And we give less than 2 The median giving for American Christians is $200 a year. That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? For people who claim to believe in Jesus Christ and have trusted Him for salvation. It led one pastor to preach a sermon entitled Cirrhosis of the Giver. 
And that might be an adequate description of the malady that we have. So, I'm sure that as you sit there and you hear this today, and we're talking about the budget, and you had to vote on that, I hope you approve that. And uh, we're talking about the money that it takes for God's kingdom and for God's church. You know, he asked, where's that money going to come from? It's got to come from us who make up the church, who benefit from being a part of this community, uh, who feel the need to be obedient to what God's Word teaches. And speaking about that, when we talk about money, a lot of people say, well, the church shouldn't talk about money. And I don't know why, unless they've got a problem with giving money. Because you know, the Bible has more to say about money and material possessions and giving and generosity than it does about heaven or hell. And that has more teaching through the parables. Jesus taught about uh, 38 parables and 16 of them dealt with money, handling possessions, and how to live with it. You know, the Bible has fewer than 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, and over 2,000 verses that deal with wealth and possessions. So, I would think you would have to say that the uh, inescapable conclusion is that God's Word has much to say to us about money, possessions, how we use them, how we give our money. All if we want to do it to the glory of God. When we're talking about generous, we look at that word generous as used in the Bible, and it simply means to show mercy or favor, to be freely gracious. Now, to be biblically generous is to recognize God's generosity to you, to me, to every one of us, and that, that is in abundance. And we are to respond to Him with extravagance in our worship and praise of Him. And one of the ways that we do that is through our giving. Now, we're going to look at several passages of Scripture, but listen to the one, and I think follow along with maybe it's on the screen, out of 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Paul's writing, and he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. There's that challenge, to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, written so many years ago, those words of Scripture from the Apostle Paul help us deal with the issues that we still deal with today, contentment and generosity and, and living the life that we're supposed to live, those are challenges for us today, even in this culture. Now, if that describes the lifestyle of generosity, how do we get there? Let me just make uh, three very important points with you this morning about this. First of all, you've got to understand the foundation of generosity. You know, what is the underlying principle of generosity? I think in, in all the study that you can make of scriptures and all the teaching about money management and and all the principles about God and money and possessions and what He gives to us, there are at least um, three or so that I think are, are universal for us to understand. First of all, God owns everything. You've got you to begin there with the fact that God owns everything. And the Bible affirms that over and over and over. He created everything and He owns everything. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's God's. 
It's not your money. It's not my money. It's God's. Secondly, my heart and your heart always goes where I put God's money. See, we tend to think our money follows our heart, but Jesus says the other way around. In Matthew 6, 21, He said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, money leads the way, and then your hearts follow. If your heart is focused on heavenly things, then your money's going to go there. If you send your money to heavenly places, then your heart's going to follow it there. And then, of course, the opposite is true. Somebody wrote this and said, every time you make an offering, whether it's putting a check in the offering plate, or you do it online, or whether you have it by automatic draft, whenever you see that draft, or you know you've done it online, or you put your offering in the offering plate, you need to say something like this, see you in heaven. Because that's what you're doing. You're sending that on and building treasures in heaven. Truett Cather is the founder of Chick-fil-A, an outstanding Christian man. And obviously he's made money in the restaurant business. And this is what he said. He said, it's okay to have wealth, but keep it in your hands and not in your heart. Those are good words to remember. Okay? Here's another thing to remember. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. See, that's the why in God blessing us financially. When we receive more, then we can give more. Those are just some bottom line things. About three points there about understanding the foundation of generosity. Now, the second step in that process would be to learn the formula for generosity. I want you to look with me at uh, two verses in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. And I think they help us understand something about this generosity and what the Scripture teaches us. One of the places it teaches about the formula for generosity. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, obviously, you know that that was written in biblical times when basically everything was based on an agricultural society. And so what they were taught to do was to bring the best of their, of their flocks and to bring the best of, of, their, of their fields. Everything that they had like that was to give to God the best that they had and the first of everything. Now, all, uh, underlying all of that is the concept that you cannot outgive God. Now, Look at that one I just read a moment ago there in Proverbs. And, and, and if you've got your Bible open, count the number of times in those two verses the word your is used. And in mine it's four times. So that reminds us that that is a, a personal challenge to every one of us about handling our money. It's your, 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 your. That it's a personal issue. And you're supposed to deal with it. Now, notice the, the, the formula as to what it says to us as to what we're supposed to do. Honor God more than your wealth. You see, our view of God determines how we're going to handle our money and our possessions. It's interesting to note that we're told to honor the Lord. To honor somebody is to consider them to be weighty or heavy. You also notice the first part of verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. See, it depends upon how you weigh God in your life and His value, His significance, and His importance as to how you will respond then by giving Him what He calls for and what He demands. The second principle in that is then give to God first with the first fruits of all your crops. I've already alluded to that. 
They were to bring the firstborn of their flocks and the first fruits of their fields. And you think about that from that agricultural society. It was difficult. It was a challenge for them to come and bring their best that they had and give it to God. But that's what God asked for. Not the leftovers, not the lame animals, but the best of their flocks and the best of their fields. You see, we learn from that that biblical giving is not waiting until the end of the month and seeing what's left over and then giving God leftovers. He calls for us to give it to Him first and to honor Him first. And the proportion of it really is spelled out for us in Malachi 3 verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. You know what that says? I mean, just listen to it very clearly. That if you don't give God the 10%, God says you're robbing Him. And you want to know what that word rob really is when you translate it? It literally means to take forcibly. Just as if somebody would, would, would confront you down in five points with a snub nose 38 and say, give me everything you got. That's exactly the concept that's there. We're robbing God if you don't give Him the tithe. How do we steal from God? We spend what belongs to God. We refuse to give to Him first. And we fail to give what God requires. What is it that God says, first of all, He requires? The Bible says it's a tenth, a tithe, 10% of everything that we have. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Let me ask you something. Do you believe this Bible? Do you believe the Bible you read? It talks about so many things that I bet you you believe. That God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. That God is the God of miracles and all the things that God has done for you. That He will save you if you confess your sins and, and accept Christ as Savior. We're reminded of that by the choir, their anthem for sinners slain. And most everybody in here has believed in Jesus as Savior, right? You believe Him for salvation. You trust Him with your soul for eternity. You believe this Bible, don't you? Do you believe what it says about teaching, about tithing, and what you're supposed to do in response to it? Some of you do. You might as well have a Thomas Jefferson Bible where you cut out the sections that you don't like. If you're not going to tithe, because that's in the Bible. And God says, the only place He says it, do it and put me to the test. Trust me and see if I won't pour out a blessing on you. And also notice that he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You don't tithe when you take 10% and divvy it up to different places and where you want it to go. You see, the concept of the storehouse, that was where in the temple those goods were stored that they would bring. The storehouse today is this church where you give your money and where we use it to the glory of God 
If you look at that budget that we presented, 1.5 million, a decrease from last year because the income has decreased. You notice that there is a very careful plan as to how we're going to spend that for the life of this church to glorify God and to do ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. And so you give your whole tithe, bring it into the storehouse, and that's how we use it. And it's all accountable to you. I bet some of you take part of your tithe and you send it to places you never get any kind of accountability for at all. Every time we have a church conference, unless it's a special call one, there's a treasurer's report with a financial accountability of where your money went, how it was spent. And whether we're in the red or whether we're in the black. Okay? Now, some people make the argument and say, you know, the, the tithing is, is an Old Testament. That's the law. And Jesus came and abolished the law, and we live under grace. Okay? That's great. Let me tell you two things. Number one, you'll never find in the New Testament where Jesus abolished the tithe. Anybody ever read the Bible and found that? Where God says, forget about the tithe. Have you ever read that? No. And you won't. So, the tithe still stands. The second thing I would say to you is, if you're under grace, then you ought to be more free and liberal in your giving. Because you're under the grace of God. Again, let me remind you, God says, trust me with this. Put me to the test and see if I don't pour out the blessings on you. Now, here's another point I want to make. It's very, very important. When we give generously, we really live. You, you remember what Paul said here in 1 Timothy? We read a few minutes ago. He talks about being content and he learns about all these other things. And then he talks about this. Uh, can, can command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In verse 19 he says, In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know what I get from that? It's not until you have a generous heart and respond with generosity the way God calls you to do in the Bible that you really understand life and that you really live that abundant life. That God promises through Jesus Christ. Think about that. Now let me make the third overall point, and that's this. If you're going to understand the foundation, you understand the principles about that, learn those things, then the third thing obviously is then you've got to practice the faith of generosity. Uh, and doing research for this, if you go, if I, I just went online, if you do the same thing and type in generosity, there are all kinds of things that will come up. There's money management courses like Crown Financial, like Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace. Uh, there's uh, websites about uh, generous giving, all kinds of things about generosity. Articles that popped up and all of that. One of the most interesting was an article that actually was in USA Today back in November of 2010. With the title of that article, Unraveling the Mystery of Why We Give or Don't. And, and there was an intensive study done, and the result of it was this. That there was discovered a, genero a generosity gene. You get that? A generosity gene. It was found in the brain, not in the heart. Now, in that study, here are just four things I'll give to you out of about ten things that they listed that they discovered in that study. 
Religious people tend to give more. Now that's bunching everybody with a faith for religion of some sense together. Secondly, people who have more money, money don't necessarily donate more. Thirdly, people who plan donations give more than those who don't. See, if you plan to give, then you will give. That's one reason we send out a commitment card to ask you to sign it, place it on the Bible as an act of commitment. A lot of people tell me, I don't feel comfortable in doing that with money. But people in this church, I know every one of us have done this somewhere. You sign on the dotted line when you get married, don't you? Why? You're making a commitment. You sign on the dotted line when you buy your house. Why? Mortgage company wants to know you're making a commitment to paying it off. You buy a car, you sign on the dotted line. Why? That, that car company wants to know you're going to pay it. And you're going to be committed to it. When you sign a commitment card, it's just simply between you and God that you're going to be faithful to that commitment that you made. Because if you intend to give, you will give more. And then the, third, the last thing I'll point out is they discover that guilt isn't a great motivator. So I'm not trying to make you guilty. That's why we laugh to begin with, okay? That, that's not a great motivator. Now let me tell you the most interesting thing that I discovered in that entire article. They, uh, the researchers believed that there is a hormone produced in the pituitary gland and, uh, that helps with generosity. And in one study, a team of scientists used a, a nasal spray of this hormone, and they sprayed it in the nose of, of several people in that study. And they discovered that generosity increased by 80% when it was inhaled by those people. Now, I wonder, why isn't that stuff on the market today? If I could have found it, I would have bought a case of it and you would have it today. <laughs> Instead of giving you a flu shot, I'd line you up and we would give you a squirt of that stuff in your nose and then take up the offering. <laughs> now, you feel good about it. So let me give you some suggestions about how you can live out this generosity, okay? First of all, evaluate your giving. Evaluate your giving. Just sit down and look at your giving. You know what you give. You know how much you give. You know how, you, you know how regularly you give. Ask yourself the question, is this honoring God? That's the bottom line. Am I putting God ahead of my money? Does this giving honor God? The second thing is this. Think about God's generosity. I know we've had some difficult times economically. Some people in here have lost jobs. Some people are still without jobs. They've been downsizing, pay cuts, all those kinds of things. But you know what? When you understand that over the, over the last half century or more, that the average um, amount that Christians give is about 2%, you'll see it's not an economic issue. It's a spiritual issue and an obedience issue. Okay, so there have been some bad times. But you think about God's generosity and the blessings He's brought into your life. And see if that doesn't give you a little bit of motivation to be faithful in your giving. Third thing I'd say is get your financial life in order. Over and over and over again I hear people say, you know, I love to give. I would love to be a tither. I want to give more. But I just got so much debt we got to handle. We're paying for this. We're paying for that. You know, you got to get, your, you got to get your, a budget. You got to live within that budget. I recommend to you, take a, take a financial course. You know, we offer Dave Ramsey. Dan Holiday offers that course and teaches that in, in the fall and in the spring. And he said something to me the other day. Maybe it was at the presentation of the budget Sunday night. 
that in this semester, with all the people who are taking financial peace, and I'm not sure how many it is, there's not one family from this church that's taking financial peace. And I bet there are a lot of you out there don't have a budget, your finances are in a mess, and you don't know how to handle your money. Next time around, you need to take financial peace. But you've got to get your financial life in order. Now, this is another important one. I want to start this one. Learn contentment. Learn to be content. Learn to be content. You see, contentment is enjoying what you have and what you can't afford. You go back to a passage of Scripture we read in Timothy. And what did he say? Godliness with contentment is great gain. He says in verse 8, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, even back in that day when this was written, there was that, there was that desire people had for more and better and bigger. Okay? People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a, and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let me give you today's translation of that. Wanting and, and waiting for and buying the newest, fastest, biggest of whatever it is out there has got more people in debt than they can get out of. You got to learn to be content with what you have and what you can afford. Now, here's the big one take the tithing challenge. I think it was Wednesday, day 21 in this week's devotion, in your all in devotion book. You were challenged to take the 90 day, which is three months, tithe challenge. And at the end of that three months, see if God has not blessed you and honored your faithfulness. Now, don't take that, tithe, that challenge about tithing and sit back and, and we'll look for a new car to appear in your driveway or for extra money to show up in your bank account. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking and preaching prosperity stuff here. I'm just talking about being obedient to God and experiencing God's blessings. So, you might discover in the 30 days of tithing that you feel closer to God than you ever have before. That's a great blessing to experience out of that, isn't it? Or you might discover the simple joy of being obedient and knowing that for the first time in your life, you're being completely obedient to God and what He wants you to do. See, those are great blessings that God will pour out on you. And let me remind you that that's the only place when He talks about that tithe in Malachi is where He says, put me to the test. I want to challenge you to do that. And, it, and, and in the letter you'll get about your commitment cards, that is if you approve the budget today and we follow through with the track, we're going to talk about November 18th is Prove the Tithe Sunday. We want everybody to bring a tithe that, that day and, 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 and prove the tithe. Now, if you're already a tither, you might be sitting there and saying, well, there's nothing in it for me. Well, yeah, I think also in that Sunday's day's devotion, they talked about being a kingdom contributor. That is, if you tithe, look to see what you can give beyond that. You'll also notice that, that in the budget printout that we mailed out to you, if you've bothered to read it, there's a chart showing what families give in the life of this church, the different types of gifts. And then there's also a chart talking about taking a challenge to increase it, at least by 1%. So, I offer you the opportunity to challenge you to take that tithing challenge. And let me mention one more thing. Teach your family to be generous. 
Teach your family to be generous. That's a trait and a characteristic you have to pass down and you have to teach. I remember that I was a teenager when my mother sat down and talked to me. Maybe it was when I got my paper route and started with a grass cutting job and all that. And she sat down and she explained to me the principle of tithing and how she tithed. And she was a single mama with one income school teacher. And she sat down and she talked to me about tithing and how to make that 10% the priority of giving to God. You see, you are doing your family a gross injustice if you don't sit down and talk to them about money and how to handle it to the glory of God and teach them the principles. you got to teach your children about how to develop a budget, how to, how to balance a checking account or keep up with your finances however you do it. If you don't use a checking account with your debit cards and all that stuff. And along the way of teaching them those things, you got to teach them about being generous with your lifestyle. Okay? Now, let me ask you this. How comfortable do you feel right now? We talked about money. We talked about giving. I don't make any apologies for it because that's what God's Word says. This church doesn't operate by government surplus or by government entitlements and all that kind of stuff. This church operates on the money that faithful people give in response to God. And they give it out of a lifestyle of generosity. Let me see how comfortable you are after that sermon. Let's hear that wholehearted laugh one more time, okay? I don't think some of you laughed. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. And God loves a generous giver. And God blesses a generous, cheerful giver. Amen? Father, we thank you for all that you have given to us, for all the blessings. You're such a wonderful, amazing, loving God. And in spite of difficulties and ups and downs in life, you are still so faithful to us, and you love us, and you provide for us, and we thank you for that. And so, Father, our prayer together as a church would be that we would grow in spiritual maturity to where we would trust you with your word and honor you with our money and be found obedient and faithful to what you call us to do with the resources you have so richly placed into our life. And Father, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And I pray that all of us in this church at Spring Valley will take that challenge and put you to the test and and begin to tithe and experience your blessings. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.